Welcome to Food and Loathing, where we're not even worried about making it to the playoffs or being <laughs> drafted for the pros. We're just in it for the love of the game. I'm your host, Al Mancini. Co-hosting with me this week, once again, is Chef Rick Moonen. Mixing us together as he keeps us from overmodulating is our resident fast food aficionado <laughs> and engineer, the one and only Rich Johnson. Gentlemen, how you both doing today? Playing the hits, as always. <laughs> Rick, how Lo- goes it? Loving life, man. I love this time of year. It's so beautiful, man. Yeah. Well, it's great to have you back and be back here at the beautiful Moon and Ranch. Um, I think it's you were only gone one week, if I'm remembering yep. correctly. Uh, but now that we have you back, why don't you bring us up to date on what's been occupying your celebrity chef time since last <laughs> we spoke? <laughs> Just trying to relax, trying to enjoy life. Uh, I did uh, the BTS. Did we talk about that? The yeah. Allegiant yeah. Stadium. That's always fun. Went to this thing. You know, I live up in the Northwest. Yeah. So, and uh, it's... We have this thing called the Celtic Festival every year. It's a lot of fun in, in uh, Floyd Lamb Park, and everybody gets all. It's all those the games where guys are tossing, you know, big logs, hurling and uh, Irish yeah, stuff, stones, yeah, the, the large men throwing thing. heavy objects, cable toss. The thing I was most disappointed about this year was the fact that they didn't have my turkey wing. I have one every oh. once a year. I get that smoked turkey leg. You know, you walk around with that massive thing. Yeah, I have a kilt, and I wore it, and it was fun. <laughs> what you wear under your kilt? Well, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Just kept, that's the. How is the? It's the one time of year you can do that, you know. You I mean, I'm August? not competing. I'm not like bending over and anything. Yeah. We talked about what <laughs> what would the crowd be at the BTS thing. What was the crowd in your suite at the BTS thing? Oh my God! Well, I wasn't in a particular suite. I. Oh. I it, it was a very um, crazy. Ninety percent Asian women. Seriously, in crazy love with it. It's, it's insanity. You know, of the, of the screaming level of, of excitement yeah. that comes out of them. And I mean. Pfft. They're, they're a great band. Don't get me wrong. You know, I, I can understand it, but I just don't understand the intensity of insanity. I mean, a boy band is a boy band is a boy band, in my opinion. Yeah. I have no use for any of them, but nope. God bless them if they make little girls screech. Nobody's no? playing an instrument. I don't get no. it. Yeah. I'm looking for, you know, I'm old school. <laughs> 60 years ago, there were, the term boy band wasn't around, but, you know, that was the Beatles. That's oh. yeah. Well, they actually the screaming. And let's they, be honest. Yeah. Stuff. It's there the same level. The same yeah. level of screaming. Insanity. Dro- drop, you know, fainting kind of stuff. And the amount of uh you know the byproducts of the yeah, all yeah. Of the merchandise the merch they had to fly in a, a second day the, after the first day all the merchandise got sold yeah. they had to fly in an entire airplane of more merchandise for the second wow day. Well, their marketing is genius um uh, first of all also the allegiant stadium people you know i questioned whether they'd be able to have as many concerts as they were claiming they were going to get in there because i spent a lifetime in rock and roll and it's hard to fill a stadium yeah but what allegiant has done is made it a lot of these destinations stadium shows where they're not a group that's going on a tour and playing a stadium in every market but rather if you want so it's almost like a stadium residency in vegas and that's been really really smart and these guys with their limited edition merch have then turned it into like they're the new beanie babies i mean it's going to be worth shit in 10 years but right now you can resell you can't buy that online for good money you know no kidding man it's like going to the masters you can only get masters gear at the masters at the tournament once a year you know i could have made some money because you know 
I was in there the whole day because I'm prepping and all that. I'm walking by these merch shops. They open up. If I had just bought a whole bunch yeah. of stuff, because oh, yeah. the line turns into this snaked out line that goes like a mile. <laughs> <laughs> They're waiting for merch, and I could be on the back of the line going, hey, yeah. you want this hat, Or you could just be hawking it on eBay right now for <laughs> a ton of money. So not me anyway. That's so funny. <laughs> that's, that's all you want, right? The reputation. What's Rick Moonen doing now? He's hawking secondhand merch. <laughs> I have one. I do, I do have a confession to make, though. On uh, This past Sunday was Easter Sunday, a very solemn day. And my good buddy, uh, Stephen Geddes, comes over to the house, and of course we, we ate rabbit. I always love ah, to eat rabbit on Easter. Yeah, yeah man. It's <laughs> so good. We made a riet of rabbit. It was so delicious. It was crazy. So there, I got it off my chest. Sorry, guys. I used to always eat rabbit on Easter, and I know Justin Kingsley Hall did it this year. I didn't make it out. He had a celebration of rabbit and eggs. And then I try to eat venison on Christmas, which yeah. I know is not really Rudolph, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I really do Close like enough. just well, slay the sacred animal on each other. You go with ham and shrimp on Passover then? I, I do not do okay, that. No, yeah, I have you, not done that. I'm that's not, a line you don't want to cross. I'm, I'm blaspheming the secular representation oh, of the okay. holiday. I see. Rudolph, I'm not, you know, yeah, we're not going to go there. No, so, all of you worship as you see. Cannibalize an old fat guy for Christmas. Oh, uh, <laughs> Santa steak. Yeah, or a nice braise, I think, would be the way to go. Oh, I like oh, the man. Rudolph. Rudolph is good. Rudolph. So <laughs> I've had a fair amount going on since last we spoke. I'm going to try to get all of it in, but let's start with the most exciting meal of my week. Prepared by the one and only Jean-Georges Von Gerichten with the assistance of the talented Sean Griffin at Jean-Georges Steakhouse in Aria. Uh, Chef Jean-Georges is, of course, a culinary superstar. He operates over 40 restaurants worldwide. Um, if you believe what you read in the news, the Howard Hughes Corporation just brought a minority interest in his company for a whopping oh. reported $55 million. <laughs> his eponymous, and that's the minority interest in his company. Want to know if they want to buy a podcast. Yeah. Um, a minority interest. <laughs> <laughs> his eponymous flagship restaurant in New York City is located in Trump Tower on Columbus Circle. Oh, well. I will, no, I mean, still great piece of real estate to have in, yeah. in New York. Uh, I will always think of him as the mentor to uh, one of my favorite chefs in the world, the late chef, Kerry mm -hmm. Simon, yep. the man who brought Kerry to Las Vegas. And his two Las Vegas restaurants, Prime and Bellagio, and John George Steakhouse in Aria have been listed among the city's very top steakhouses since each opened their doors 1998 and 2009, respectively. Yeah. What I've always found is a little weird about that one is that this is one of the world's great living French chefs, and he's best known in our town for steak. Because let's face it, um, steakhouses are not traditionally in the wheelhouse of chefs of his caliber. Rick, do you disagree with that? Or no, I don't disagree at all. It's it, it's it's our perception of it because he's a perfectionist, and that's just what he is. You know, Jean George, I've known him many many years. Can you know he's a big toaster collection. You probably didn't know that. I <laughs> know yeah. uh, when he was doing, he opened a Vong V O N G, and yeah. it was a you know, Thai restaurant. I remember that. Yeah. And I and I would go around with him with a group of people to go into Queens to go to Thai restaurants to eat you know sticky rice and all these things you know mussels and with lemongrass and these world and we're talking flavors. about new york in the 90s maybe? yeah yeah this yeah. is the 90s back then you know i think i went there so john george tons of energy brilliant super talented from alzas and um he uh he doing a ste doing a steakhouse was just like you know uh, like anything else. It's just adding diversity to your portfolio. A and B, he can always bring quality and, and and tradition and whatever you want to bring along with it. Now, see, I've heard a story, and I don't know if it was told to me on the record or off. I believe it was told <laughs> on the record, so we're going to put it on the record now. But I yeah. won't quote the person who told me. But um, I believe that when when Steve Wynn brought him in, and again. 
this was not told to me by John George himself. This was told to me by somebody else. But Steve brought him in, wanted him to go, I believe, into the Mirage, maybe like the Renoir space or something like right, that. Right. And John George was so blown away when he saw what they were building at Bellagio that he wanted to go to Bellagio. And the story, the way that I told it, and you know, stories change as they're sure, retold. Sure. But the way I told it was, he said, I want to come into this resort. And Steve Wynn basically said, all we have left is the steakhouse. And he said, okay, I'll do it. And they were like, what? Oh. French <laughs> chef steakhouse? And, you know, the, I, I, I remember someone vividly saying he was like, "What the French invented steak frites?" You know? yeah. <laughs> we can't do steak. Right. So um, I don't know if there's any truth to that. I heard it from a pretty reputable source. I hope yeah. it is true. But um, man, I I think that for him to take steak originally was a little weird. But steakhouses are getting much more sophisticated, especially in Las Vegas these yep. days. Yep. Yep. Um, and I don't know if it's a reflection of that or if the chef was just in the mood to show off with his new menu. But man, the meal that he and Chef Sean prepared for us was a world-class, elegant feast where steak was almost an afterthought or kind of an obligation that they had to oh. pull some out. Um, you know, we started off with caviar bubble tea. They poured this almond milk and some rice cracker. Or no, I'm sorry, almond milk over the... Um, the the caviar that was in a champagne flute and you drank it through one of those boba tea mm -hmm. straws amazing rice cracker encrusted tuna white asparagus with a mustard emulsion a, wow. a harry's berry strawberry salad mm -hmm. the, then he did a lot of seafood dishes swordfish milanese with grilled lettuce capers and brown butter a slow cooked sea trout with fava beans preserved lemon and pistachio then this masterpiece this black bass and croute mm -hmm. with um, a sauce chiron and a tomato mm -hmm. concasse concave Sorry, I don't know. say There you go. Ooh. Chopped. <laughs> um, so, and as you can hear, the, you know, these are not steakhouse dishes that you would expect. Yeah. Just brilliant. And then, of course, we got to the red meat course, which consisted of um, double cut lamb chops with cucumber, yogurt, and crunch garnishes, and then three cuts of F1 beef. Mm. Before we get to um, talking about the seafood and things like that, F1 is something that I, th I want to take a minute to chat about because if you're in a fine dining restaurant these days, you're probably seeing it more and more or hearing about it more often. And it is a Japanese grade for beef that is 50% Wagyu mm -hmm. and 50% non-Wagyu. There's actually F1 can go to, then F2 would be 75% Wagyu, F3 would be... Um, I don't know, seven eighths Wagyu and even up right. to F4, which is 15 sixteenths Wagyu. But a lot of people have been serving F1. And I think it's because people want the quality of Wagyu, but really are realizing that there's too much fucking fat yeah, in A5. Rich. And you can't eat it like a steak. Mm -mm. So have you been, am I the only one that's been noticing F1 on a lot of menus recently? It's definitely popping up. And I think it's, it's a great way for Wagyu to go. I, I, personally think it's way too rich i can't you take a taste and you and you, you just let it melt in your mouth how much how much lard lardo do you eat you know? yeah yeah it's yeah you could butter your bread with with a5 practically exactly, you know exactly. and warm it up and practically spread it on your bread have that in lieu of foie gras yeah, well, yeah. you don't want both. I'll not tell yeah. you that. Um, so look after this feast was over i spent a few minutes chatting with the chef so um let's listen to that the meal was delicious, Chef. Could you explain to people the new menu items, just the new direction that you're taking the menu in for this menu? You know, it's a, it's a steakhouse. And, uh, we've never been a classic steakhouse. So Jean-Georges area has always been a, I call it the best of. So we're bringing dishes from New York, from the Fulton, from ABC Kitchen, from all over the, the restaurant that we have in New York. But as well, we, we try to include some uh, working with the chef here. For example, we, we did the sea bass on food tonight. 
is something I learned with Paul Bocuse. So bringing back an old classic like that, uh, it's amazing, you know, yeah. I think it's fun. And on the new direction, it's always, we always try to reinvent. You can reinvent meats, you know. Yeah. You have different uh, grades of meats, from Wagyu to uh, A5 and etc. Cetera, et cetera. But, you know, we try to find grass-fed, grass we try to find the best fish, the best... For me, it's all about ingredients. So here at Jean-Georges Steakhouse, we're always looking for the best... Uh, Best fish, best small boat fish, the best organic vegetables. So we try to really, you know, mix some flavor that are, are interesting. Because on the end, you know, the food groups are pretty much the same. There's a kind of what, five meats. You have pork, you have a, you know, you have a lamb, you have a beef, you have a veal. But for us, is to bring some new flavors, some new spices, some new ingredients to make it taste different. What you just said about that, that CBS and crude, um, being going back to Paul Bocuse, it just reminded me because when, when Chef Bocuse died, I remember a lot of other chefs who had worked with him bringing back a tribute to that dish. So could you tell people who may never have seen that dish, the history behind that dish with Chef Bocuse and then in your restaurants as well? Yeah. I mean, the dish is uh, actually from Fernand Point. So we're going back even further, probably a hundred years back. So it's actually a sea bass in a pastry crust. Uh, and it's funny because I work with three chefs who work with Fernand Point. Paul Bocuse, Paul Eberlin, Louis Routier, and they all teach me that, that, that dish. And uh, so for me to do it today is very nostalgic, but it's still good, you know, it still has a great, uh, great flavor. I mean, when you cook in France, you have a Lou de Mer from Mediterranean. This is a black sea bass from, uh, from Montauk, but you could put a, a mad eye in there, you could put anything. It keeps, it keeps the fish very, very fresh, very, very moist. And uh, it's, uh, you know, food is all about nostalgia. And, Memories on, uh, and I try to continue the memories to to new people. I love that you say that because I always say I've written about music and I've written about food. And they're both very associated with memories. It's all about memories, you know, food memories that from your childhood or my apprenticeship with Paul Bocuse or etc. So I think it's very similar, you know. We all have nostalgic and bringing back dish like that that people forgotten about it or never had it before. It's, it's, uh, you know. When is the first time you cooked that dish in one of your own restaurants? I mean, uh, you know, we, the first time I did it actually was uh, when I was an apprentice, 1973. And the first time I put it in the menu was uh, last year at the Fulton in New York. So now I bring it to Vegas. It belongs in Vegas. Vegas is history, has a lot of history as well. So, so I have to admit, I was not super familiar with um, Chef Fernand Plant who is mentioned there as the actual creator of that fish and croat. But, I mean, he's the guy who taught Paul Bocuse, who is himself seen as a forefather of French cuisine. But, Rick, um, you under, you know this chef. You're familiar no, with this chef. Ferdinand Plant. Um, well, my my uh, mentor, his name is Eugene Bernard, a.k.a. Boom Boom, big guy, big voice, you know, very powerful, very smart. He apprenticed under Ferdinand Plant as a child. And so I had some of that lineage, so I was very interested in Ferdinand Point. And his restaurant called uh, La Pyramide uh, was in, in France. It got three stars, the highest rating you could possibly get for the longest run of any restaurant in the world. Whoa. The history. So, I mean, this guy's got some serious roots. And I want, and I just wanted to read... And we're talking about early 1900s, maybe, that the oh, yeah. pyramid was around? Yeah, I was going to say, you said as a child. That was that whole slavery system in the kitchen. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, no, but days. he learned a lot from it. And Ferdinand Point wrote a book called Ma Gastronome. And out of it, I wanted to read this because it, it, it's it's pertinent to what um, Jean-George had to say. He said that um, great cuisine is not static. The creator 
uh, the creative cuisiniere cannot hold only what was done in the past and go no further. One should retain the base, the foundation, and build on that, modifying and refining it to suit challenging tastes in changing times. I mean, this was written wow. in, the, in when it's, uh, 74. Wow. Yeah. That the, that's when the English language version of the that translation, came out. yeah. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, that's, that's very poignant. And I think that's what John George, that envelops him, you know, right. the fact that. And I do think it's really timely because this beautiful fish, and you can see pictures of it on, on our social media, but this fish came out, and it's when we say in crute, we're talking about a pastry shell over the entire fish. Um, beautiful, similar to a Wellington, I guess would be the closest yep. that most people could think about it right now. Uh, but of course, it's shaped like a fish, and it was gorgeous, and then the chef deboned it and all of that. But what was interesting to me is he's putting that on the menu right now while they have that lobster in crute over at um, Carver Steak, yeah. right? Which I just love to see the two of them next to each other. Everything's, everything's going going in a crust now. I mean, it's not just pigs in a blanket anymore, folks. I mean, but the Wellington has been making a, a resurgence. Well, yeah. Yeah. More and more well, places. Gordon Ramsay's been doing it for 20 years. Oh, yeah, the lattice work and everything. And it doesn't matter. It's not even about the crust. It's just that it's in a crust. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and that's, that crust is good, too. We almost didn't get a crust on my plate, and I was like, where's my crust? Hey. Like, oh, 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 hold on. Sean came running over with some crust. Um, okay, moving out of our culinary history lesson, I'm going to mention a few more meals I had this week. I visited DW Bistro twice, once for snacks at the bar, then again for Easter Sunday gospel brunch. Um, Sunday was great. Sky D. Miles performed. That was fantastic. Mm. Uh, you know, one thing I think is worth mentioning about DW Bistro, we all love the place. It's a great brunch spot totally. and it's a great spot for their weird blend of jamaican with southwestern american cuisine it works nobody really does that but um we have juan lazaraga over there and i know i fucked your last name up again juan i apologize but he was pouring me spirits there while i was there and he poured me out a, a venezuelan rum a diplomatico ambassador and also some old forester birthday bourbon and I had never looked at the spirits collection at DW Bistro. They've got a really, really good spirits collection. Yeah. Hmm. And I would say make it a point to check that out next Definitely. time you're in there. That's, I'm going. Finally, I paid a visit to the Pioneer Saloon for a surprise birthday party for Bailey Kirkpatrick. Mm -hmm. She's the um, the better half of our friend Rob Brazo, um, the much better half. I, could, um, I couldn't make the drive. Yeah, it was a much. It was a great reminder of how cool Pioneer Saloon really is, though, man. I mean, if you want to see some old west, that's only. 30 minutes outside of Las Vegas, or if you're a biker, it's um, it's fun to go out to the Pioneer Saloon. So I want to send some love their way, and that's about it for me. Rich, where have you been, my friend? Oh, God. I, I Usually I'm, I'm fairly um, you know, proud in my shame of all these joints, but after all of that, hearing about George, <laughs> I can't even begin. Uh, I'll just, you know, I had uh, a Romy takeout. Okay. A Romy is, is a great Italian place in Summerlin, and it's really good. The stuff travels, and it reheats, and it uh, is really good. The bronzino, yeah. the lasagna, and all that great stuff, and watched uh, Severance. You know, have you watched Severance? I have not watched it. It's on it. Apple TV. It's, you know, I know you can only have about five of these things at once. Yeah. Right, right now i got about six or seven, but uh, <laughs> trying to rotate through, and it's an excellent show. Uh, it's been about a couple of years since I've been to In-N-Out, and I've, we've all talked about that, and it's the overrated, it's this, that, and the other thing. I wanted to confirm the opinion on the French fries, that they're very good for about two minutes. Yeah. And as they cool off, they really fall off. And, yeah, I reconfirmed that, and I was trying to <laughs> consider why. And my thought is they are they are too small. They're like an eighth of an inch square, uh, which means it's all fry and no potato inside. There's no room for a little bit of fluffy potato. It's the most natural French fry. It's a Kennebec 
potato yeah. from California, cut in front of your face, fried, yeah. and served to you. But the, now there's a thousand other ways that you can mess yeah. with French fries. You can pre-cook them and cook them a second time. Oh, yeah, time the blanched higher, thing. And, a higher, uh, and what happens is because it's already cooked on the outside, it kind of frills out because it's kind of shredding. Yeah. But those shreds become crispy. And, and, and so there's different ways of doing fries. In and out, it's just straightforward. They, they, they oh, don't, yeah. Their beef they're is not frozen. Their they're buns yeah. are made for everything's fresh. You know, and I I like it and Emperor. A lot of your respect for all that. Uh, I just yeah. wish they were a little bigger. No, you so got to eat them right then and there. Yeah, oh yeah. 100%. And I did that. I said, no, I don't even want them to go. Not in the car. I'll take a table right here. I was there at ten thirty <laughs> in the morning. First customer up at the line. Uh, I'm a, an original. That uh, everybody else line up for BTS merch. Rich is lining yeah. up. For <laughs> That's right. You know, uh, the perfect fry to me is uh, the nemesis of the East Coast, and that is uh, Five Guys. I'm an OG Five Guys guy. I was going there when they opened in their first store in Arlington, Virginia in 1986. It's a bigger fry, like I want to say a quarter of an inch Mm -hmm. square. They do the blanching. They do the peanut oil. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of grease on there when they come out. God, I love that. (laughs) So all due respect in and out. But I think uh, next week's uh, field trip will be back to Five Guys. (laughs) And uh, finally made it to 7th and Carson. We love 7th and Carson. Yeah. I love Uh, Liam. Lunch and brunch and all that. But one little question I have for you guys, because uh, Joanna likes her eggs over medium, and I do too, but I'm also forgiving on if they come out underdone, because I always put them on toast anyway and have it all supped up. I don't eat breakfast, so... What is over medium? That's the thing. And that's got to be the hardest thing ever. The yolk will not ooze out. No, but the center is still a darker color, meaning that it hasn't cooked completely through. It's and warm, it, too, it, it's, I hope. It's warm, and yep. it doesn't ooze. And that's then when a, you say over, it's, it's flipped over, so flipped it's not, over, the top, yeah. not sunny side yeah. up. It's sunny side up is okay. never flipped, yeah. Yeah, but, but over hard would be like golf balls, right, which smash. I sent back. Yeah, uh, over medium, I want a little bit of run still. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's, you know, they never really... It's a crapshoot always, always. Is that big... the hardest thing to do in the kitchen, is over medium? Or is that because everybody has a very is a different opinion on what that means? Apparently, apparently. You know, what, what, what's that place that serves those humongous portions? Hash House of Go-Go. Hash, hash House of Go-Go. My wife and I went there one time, and I wanted eggs over easy. It was the time of day. They said the guy who flips eggs is not working right now. <laughs> what? <laughs> so that'll tell you. It's an art form, apparently. I have no no problem well, with it. There's an old yeah. story that, that Mr. Mr. Robichon, Joel Robichon, would ask people just to make an egg. Well, no, I'm oh, yeah, yeah. Or, or regular egg. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that yeah. made sense. Egg. But the but the it's rosemary hard. wrangler was there, no doubt, and you had about a, a you know a forest of rosemary on your food. At, at, oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. hash house, yeah, you <laughs> set it on fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's that's my my shame of the week. Okay, well there we go. Um, but seven the Carson, I love. Yeah, and I hope you enjoyed everything did. you had while you were there. Uh, coming up, the superstar chef is back in town and bringing the barbecue back to the palms. This is Food and Loathing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know my next guest from TV shows such as Iron Chef America, Simon's Dinners and Barbecue Brawl, The Best Thing I Ever Ate, Cook Like an Iron Chef, The Chew, uh, plenty of others I'm probably forgetting, and you've read his writings in Bon Appetit, Esquire, Food Arts, Gourmet, Savoir, Oh, the Oprah Magazine. But if you're a barbecue fan in Las Vegas, you know him from Mabel's in the Palms. And I can only be speaking, of course, about the great Michael Simon, a man I haven't seen since the world kind of shut down. (laughs) And I think last time it was in here, in this very building where we are currently right now in the back room of Mabel's Barbecue, previously known as Sarah's. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But Chef, man, welcome back. Welcome to Vegas. (laughs) Welcome to my new podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be on your podcast. I'm very excited to be back in Vegas. I the last time I was here was a day before, two days before the shutdown. And like, you know, then the world stopped, no one traveled. <laughs> the, the the casino closed down. I mean, just a million things have have happened since then. But uh it's nice to see the world opening back up again. I'm excited that the Palms is back and obviously excited that Mabel's is here. Yeah, so let's talk about the shutdown. How did somebody who is as busy as you, who's constantly working, constantly doing TV, how does COVID affect your life? It was wild. I mean, we, pre-shutdown, we owned or operated 19 restaurants. So in literally one day, we shut down 19 restaurants. That same day, I was on my way to New York to film. They shut down New York City. I turned around and drove back to Long Island. Um, and basically everything that, that we do went away in three hours. So uh, after I had a, a mild nervous breakdown. Um, <laughs> and a whiskey maybe? <laughs> yeah, and several whiskeys. Um, you know, it just kind of regrouped. And, and on the way back home, I uh, because I was in that TV mentality at the moment, you know, I, I reached out to David Zasloff, who is the owner of Discovery, and I said, you know, I was David, I was on the way to the city to film. Um, I'm, I'm heading back to Long Island. I have my, uh, I mean, I call her my niece, but the, the woman, Olivia, who used to do my social and film content for me and stuff like that, and Liz and Katie, my colony director, are all going to be at my house. We could still create content. Um, and so the next day, we started doing Simon's Dinners for... Food Network on Facebook Live because we just and we did live shows for 50 straight days um, in the beginning of the pandemic, which obviously helped me mentally. I think um, I think it helped other people too. But we kind of just went to the grocery store. I went to the grocery store and you couldn't find food anywhere. So whatever I could find, I made and said to people, "If you can't find it, use this." And you know, they asked questions. And um, I think through the drama of all that, it it. It was like one thing that they could watch and one thing that I could do that got our minds off everything that was going on. Um, And then we reorganized the restaurants to, you know, like at the time we kept Lola open, um, not to the public, but, uh, and we cooked food for all of our other staff that was 
could, wasn't working at the time um, and other restaurants staff that wasn't working at the time and for the Cleveland Food Bank. Um, so we did that at Mabel's Cleveland and Lola. Uh, and then, you know, we just kept adjusting as we went. And unfortunately, we lost a couple places along the way. Uh, leases were up, which, you know, it was weird. Leases ran out in the middle of the pandemic. And then you're like, well, what do we do? Like, I, do we <laughs> do we open when the world is closed you know it was just so we had to make some tough decisions we did um but you just kind of figure it out like everything else i mean i think one thing about the restaurant industry is to be successful you it's always pandemic or not you're you're thinking on your feet and adjusting daily so you're kind of your brain works that way anyhow so we were able to um readjust I guess would be the best way to explain it. But yeah, it was scary. I mean, it was scary for so many reasons. It was scary. You know, I, I was in New York at the time and, um, which I think was affected differently than the rest of the country. you know, I, I had 10 friends that died like the first four months of the pandemic, wow. you know, people in the restaurant industry and chef friends. And it was just insane. Um, so it was, it was a scary time, but uh, you know, I'm happy we're on the other side of it yeah. to say the least. Uh, so how did you, how did the whole decision to stay at the Palms? I mean, that must've been because beyond the pandemic being a very strange time, the fact that station casinos opted to sell the Palms to not reopen it immediately to put it on the, you know, the auction block or whatever it right. is they do, whatever it is you do with the used casino, whatever it is billionaires do when they trade properties. I don't know, but, um, <laughs> that, that must've added just a completely different level of uncertainty to it. And you know, how long was it before you realized you were going to be coming back to the Palms? It was a while. I, you know, the, we had a, a, a great, relationship with Frank and Lorenzo so they told me as much as they could tell me in the world of what was going on in business I mean obviously that I couldn't know everything because they're big deals that are much bigger than my pay grade it was way above my pay grade right. but they 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 kept us informed and um, as best they could and but we didn't know when it was going to reopen if it was going to sell if you know buyers were going to be approved to have a gambling license in Vegas there was just a lot of things you know so um, then even, you know, when the casino was purchased, we weren't sure who was coming back or if anybody was coming back or if we were coming back. Um, and obviously, uh, or if they wanted to, to come. come back, yeah, that part of yeah. it too. Um, no, I love, I love Vegas. I mean, I really, it's, it's funny. Different people have different opinions of Vegas, like being in Vegas, not necessarily in the, uh, management contract work. I think most chefs enjoy having a restaurant in Vegas because it's, it's, you know, the, the amount of the sheer amount of people that are here and to do business here. But I actually enjoy being in Vegas. Like, um, when we opened Mabel's the first time around, I lived in Vegas for four months, uh, you know, just, and really got to know it a lot better than just coming here for a bachelor party or final four Super Bowl. I'm like, wow, this is a great town. Cause you know, it's filled for me. It's, so many of the people that live in Vegas are people in the hotel and restaurant business. Yeah. So it's like filled with my people. <laughs> like, so I instantly feel very comfortable when I'm here. Um, so we wanted to open back up. Um, I love the property. You know, it's, it's, uh, a little bit off the strip. It's not a massive casino. It has more of a boutique feel to it. Um, I just think it's a, a much more personal experience than a lot of the other casinos in Las Vegas. Yeah, and it's got a badass pool out there. And it's got a good pool. <laughs> I, I never swim in it, but, I, you know. Like. 
Um, well, there wasn't a lot of time yeah. <laughs> when they renovated and when this closed down. Uh, so how's your relationship with the new owners? And I mean, it's pretty major for you to, it is pretty major for a company that is new to Las Vegas, their first Las Vegas property to have a marquee name like yourself on the marquee. Yeah. I, you know, I, they're incredibly nice. Um, you know, we, we came and we met with them. We had a connection, um, you know, like at this point in my career, I'm only going to work with people that I enjoy being around. I mean, that's kind of like a, I, I realized it even more during the pandemic. It was like, I am, I'm just not going to do things that with people that I don't enjoy being around. It's just life's too short. So, um, I really enjoy them. I mean, they're, they're really good people. The people that are running the place, CKM and David are great. And, um, they've been very open about, uh, you know, the direction that they want to go and, and how they feel they could continue to grow the palms and the local business and some of the other business. And, um, you know, I really enjoyed what they were saying. And I'm like, this is going to be a good fit. Uh, you know, the, the thing about Mabel's especially is I, I think Mabel's is like, uh, you know, after close to 30 years of only doing fine dining restaurants. Like when we did Mabel's, I'm like, this is a restaurant that everybody could come to, you know, it's like, if you're a foodie, you appreciate the, that the meat has been sourced properly. And, um, you know, it takes 14 to 16 hours to cook something like a foodie really appreciates that. But if you're not someone that's a foodie, but you just want good food, that's not going to kill the pocketbook and you want to wear a t-shirt and jeans or shorts or whatever the hell you want to wear. And, watch some great sporting events and eat some delicious food you appreciate it too so um you know it has a a, a much broader appeal than like some of our finding fine dining restaurants may have had over the years so for me it's really enjoyable and i'm kind of a jeans and t-shirt shorts watch the browns lose kind of guy so <laughs> i you know it uh it fits me cool so um to, to remind people this is kind of a midwestern style of barbecue that you do here right cleveland cleveland influenced a lot of not a lot a fair amount of polish on yeah. there i mean your kielbasa sandwich was like with barbecue all over yeah. it. i mean dude i still crave that sandwich yeah so hopefully that's not going anywhere it's, it's not back yet but it will be back soon <laughs> like to make all that stuff is we'll get more employees into like <laughs> To take over the sausage program again but it's yeah it's very it's influenced by eastern europe um because i'm a born and raised clevelander so that's the flavors that i grew up with one of the things that, though we did after we opened um and we're kind of learning our way about vegas is i always think that that barbecue should feel uh very personal to where it is and so when we opened cleveland mabel's um it was important to me that 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 barbecue joint in Cleveland, Ohio represented the city of Cleveland. And when we first opened in Vegas, we're like, well, we'll just do that here. And then as I was here, I was like, you know what? Vegas is such a, like a incredible melting pot of cultures and flavors and all those things. So we do have the Cleveland kind of classics um, on the menu, but we're also having a lot of fun with, you know, like maybe doing um, like a sweet and sticky style rib with, some Asian influences or, you know, like doing some, um, homemade tortilla tacos like once a week and, and things like that. So I do want to, um, just like Cleveland Mabel's was an ode to Cleveland. I want to sure, make sure that Vegas Mabel's is an ode to Vegas. Um, cause I think that's what barbecue is. Barbecue is really like a, uh, it's a very, it's, it's the most Americana way style of cooking. 
Um, and I think when it is at its best, it represents the region that it's in. And I think that, you know, you hit the nail on the head when you talk, and we've discussed this in the past about Vegas being a melting pot. Yeah. As a result, pizza, for example, we have the best of every style here. Right. Um, and barbecue, we have some great versions of various regional styles represented. When, barbecue's not nearly where pizza is in Las Vegas, right. and I thought Mabel's coming was going to be a big boost to that, so hopefully you will continue that boost. But 100%. Uh, we've come a long way. So for those who come in, people come to Vegas from everywhere on the planet. If they're expecting, the problem you get with barbecue a lot of times is somebody goes, well, that's not barbecue because that's not where I, how I ate it at home. 100%. Right? Like, you get somewhat like, and this is the thing about barbecue in general, and, and you know, I've learned this as I can in my travels and you continue your travels and, and you see more and more of it. Like I'm working on a show on Food Network right now that's going to come out this summer called Barbecue USA. And it's it's like a little bit of a documentary and we go to different big regions of barbecue in the country where there's barbecue contests and cook with the pit masters and stuff like that. It's really fun. But it's the the nature of the beast is that like if you're in Texas, they have a very strong opinion on what barbecue is. It is 100% different than what barbecue is in Kansas City, which is 100% different which barbecue is in the Carolinas. Now, I mean, they're all cooking with live fire. Like, one thing that the barbecue belts have in common is they, they, you know, barbecue is a method, not a sauce. So they, their methods are all tried and true barbecue. They're cooking with live fire, typically relatively low and slow. Um, and different regions really feature more, like uh, Texas is brisket, you know, Kansas City, I would say is ribs, the Carolinas are whole hogs, you know, you get into Kentucky, it's mutton, um, you know, it just depends on where you are and, and what they feature. But these different regions also have literally different trees. Oh, yes. So yeah, different wood. So, the, you know, Texas is post oak and, you know, maybe a little bit of hickory and or pecan. And so it, char it changes throughout the, the areas. So like my feeling always is is um you know we're gonna cook in the true tradition of barbecue we'll have a little bit of fun with sauces along the way but there's always going to be people and um you know when we opened up like you know people would come in and they, they'd be like this this isn't this isn't pulled pork and i'm like oh where are you from oh i'm from you know north carolina i'm like well it you know there are different versions of pulled pork. And they're like, no, no, there's yeah. not. <laughs> and, and, and that is honestly the hardest thing. I mean, I have plenty of problems with, as does everybody, with the Yelps of the world and things like that. But And they also do good things in oh, their own 100%. Ways. But the hardest problem with a cuisine like barbecue, when you read somebody's review of it and out somebody who's not a professional writer who doesn't understand, or at least who's not a foodie, I right. should say, they will just go, this is bad because yes. it's not the style that they're used to. And oh. that, that's got to be frustrating as hell. It is, but you, you know, you, like everything else, you kind of learn how to work your way through it. I mean, we had a, we were open for about two months when we first opened and a brisket went out to a table this is the opposite of someone that knows anything about barbecue, but a brisket goes out to the table, brisket comes back, and he said it was burnt. So we just sent out another piece. He sent it back. I went out to the dining room. I said, sir, is, is everything okay? He's like, there is this black stuff <laughs> all over the outside of my brisket. I said, oh, that's the bark. You know, we, we cook it low and slow, and, you know, like a proper brisket should have a beautiful bark on the outside, and 
there's some different sauces that you could put on it. And he's like, it's burnt. I'm like, well, it's, it's not burnt. He goes, I had to cut all this off. <laughs> oh, I man. only want to pay for this part of it. Oh. And I'm like, let me just pick up your check and, you know, you go on your way. And he goes, before you go, <laughs> let me explain to you how you make a perfect barbecue brisket. <laughs> okay, here we go. You know, and he goes, you get the brisket. You put it in a crock pot for about oh my God. six to eight hours. And then when it's done, he goes, if you ever heard of this sauce called Baby Ray's, it's like, that's barbecue sauce. You pull it out of the crock pot, and right when it comes out, you cover it in the sauce, and you put it back in the crock pot for another hour. That's how you make a brisket. Jeez. I said, sir, I will take that into account, and you know, but we will never make that sour brisket here. I, there's nothing I could do to make you happy. At Don't this point. you wish you had like a camera crew following you around oh, yeah. for that interaction? Because yeah. that would be the greatest bit of television ever to watch yeah. that the, guy. Explain. The good part would be grabbing him by the collar and taking him back to the ovens and say, "See that 16 fucking hours? Yeah, it doesn't you know? work though." Well, it's like I mean. Like we also, it'll happen. Not not as because there's more barbecue shows on, so I feel people are learning more. But like once a week, ribs will come back and they'll be like, "These aren't cooked." I'm like, "Oh, they've been cooked for like six yes. hours. <laughs> they're like they're pink." Yeah, I'm like, "That's the smoke ring." They're like, "No, it's raw." I'm like, "No, it's not raw." And oh, like man. the same thing happens with chicken. You know, like they see the pink and they're like, "Oh my god, it's oh, not cooked." I'm like, god, I'm "It's cooked for so long, you can't even." <laughs> Yeah, like you know, chicken particularly. Like a lot of people, I have been with people who oh, know food that freak. are like, "This is pink. Is this okay to eat?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, it's, it's okay fine. to eat. Don't worry about it." Well, the other thing with chicken is, if chicken's fresh, there's always going to be like people see the red on the bone. They're like, "It's red on the bone. It's because it's never been frozen. If it's frozen, the blood turns black, and then." It's not as good, but it's not yeah, right on the phone. Right, so. right. Um, oh, man, that's – I just love that story. That's fantastic. You just blew this my is, mind. I forget what else we were going to talk this about. This is that. why I don't have hair. Like, this is why my father has a full head of curly hair at 80 years old, and I am bald. It is, it is because of – uh, crock pot brisket with sweet baby rays. <laughs> oh man! So uh, let's talk about the the space. I walked through it briefly. The patio. They're getting it all ready. Mm -hmm. um, the interior. Right now we're sitting in Sarah's. I'm going to talk about that right after this question. But for the main main restaurant, any renovations or was yeah, it looking? We've, no, we've made a couple changes, and we're gonna. There's a couple more that we're gonna make shortly after we open. Um, you know, one of the things that that we found here as we were open was it's, it's a big restaurant you know it's, it's a good sized restaurant we wanted to create um some like pockets of environment a little bit so you know we become i i feel the first time around we became a place where people really enjoyed walk watching sports like our ufc nights were kind of legendary football sundays were really fantastic um uh nights hockey games were great you know so we, we put up tables in the front part of the restaurant, like the bar in the front part, and we're going to do a wall of TVs on not the bar side, the other side. So people could really kind of dig in and watch sports and have, you know, we have, what, I don't know the exact count, but like 30 beers on tap and an insane whiskey program, you know, so. I was just about to ask about the whiskey. Yeah. Because so, you had a great whiskey. Great, program. and that, that will be, I drink too much whiskey. Not Every restaurant I own has a great whiskey program. Yeah. It's 100% <laughs> selfish. So, but the uh so people could really come in and like it could be a place that they could just sit have beers maybe get some smoke wings barbecue watch sports and fun and then the back part of the dining room you want if you want to come in and dine a little bit more sit with family uh, you know it'll be a little bit more appropriate and we're 
eventually going to um, get some garage doors on the back of the building that then open up to uh, the patio. So it will feel very cohesive into one kind of big room like that. And live those, music out on the patio? Yeah, we're going to do live music outside and we're going to do live music in the front of the restaurant. Um, so those things will all kind of happen over a little bit of a stint here in time but it'll be fun because it'll be new things that people could come in um and experience so uh it's it's we're really excited about it um you know it's we 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 were i feel very successful the first time around but we learned a little and we're you know because of the two years of downtime we're able to really kind of be reflective and say if we could change a couple things for the vegas mabels what will we change you know, we kind of made a dream list when we met with everybody and they're like, we love these ideas. And so let's let's get kind of a punch list and and we'll keep introducing some new stuff as we go. Cool. So we are sitting right now in what was known as Sarah's. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a for those who have not been to Sarah's or have not heard about it. Um, in the there's kind of a little there was a little trend in Vegas to have speakeasy secret rooms and um, the Palms had a few of them yeah. at the time when it originally opened and so there's a door towards the back it looks like either a wall or if you knew it was a door you'd think maybe it was a restroom or offices or something but you push it and there's a little entryway and then you go through and there's Sarah's which is this beautiful it was this I mean it's still beautiful but it was this throwback restaurant um, I believe tuxedo clad wait staff. Yep. Um, Um, I'm looking at the prime rib cart that's sitting right in front of me that's still here. Gorgeous. um, Just, you know, everything polished and brass and glass. And um, you had told me it was kind of a throwback to the restaurants you grew up in. And so you would have um, all of the throwback kind of dishes. I don't know if you had. um, We had had served prime rib and yeah, all like like little riffs on the classics, you know, like a smoked prime rib, fun shrimp cocktail, uh, you know, all those kind of things that. That oh bananas Fosters cherry jubilee crepe yeah. Suzette you know like a lot of table side a lot of table side stuff you know we did the Caesar table side Dover Soul fillet table side and you were um, doing a lot of good caviar before it became as trendy as it is yeah. right now well I mean I feel this restaurant was really in front of like the little speakeasy rooms they became more common you know but they weren't super popular at the time and and the caviar service not a ton of people were doing at the time you know so. And we had a lot of fun with it. And by the way, just um, I'll give you a little dirt. I will talk a little dirt on this show. Why not? Um, I'll never forget the time David Chang was very excited to tell me about his smoked prime rib. And he was, they, they flew us out to LA and they were, oh, I'm going to be doing this smoked prime rib. And I just went, oh, like they do at Sarah's. <laughs> and it did, I, didn't go over terribly. David's a great guy. I, okay? I, lo- but, I love David, but I gave him grief too, especially because his corporate, his chef at the time's wife worked for us behind the bar and his chef right. ate here like three nights a week with the smoked prime rib and all that yeah, stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> not for nothing. Right. You know? So like, let's, let's make sure we start a little yeah, bit. Of I was better. fermenting. David, I was fermenting food and making pickles when you were still working for thomas uh Tom i'm just saying um but i love him he, he's an incredibly talented chef with and i love eating at his restaurants they're spectacular he's a great guy cool. but i do like to bust his chops a little bit so the, that all leads to the question will sarah's be back and will be the same and will my key still get me in Your there key was a little still, key. yeah there was a little key it's the secret key um we are working through that right we want to get mabel's going first we have full intentions to activate Sarah's again. I don't know if it's going to be exactly like it did. It was. We might play with it a little bit, but our goal is to get Sarah's back open. To me, 
and obviously I'm partial when I say this, but I think it's the most special room in Vegas. Like, how many places in Vegas could you go to a 38-seat room and feel like you're hidden away from everything, not in the middle of a show? You know, it's just a rarity here. You know, so I, I feel that um, this room has its place. I feel that it's the, you know, my wife Liz and... Um, and the and the guys at Parts and Labor who designed it, I feel that it's it it's timeless. Um, you know, some of the food that we did here, I felt was really special. Um, so yeah, it it we're we are we are not giving up on Sarah's. Not to rain on your parade, but can it? Will it ever be profitable? Um, yes, I think so. I you know I here's what I do think. I think the reason. It could be or will be or whatever is because of the like if it would be hard to open this restaurant as a freestanding restaurant. Yeah. Like we're going to open this little 35 seat restaurant in and of itself, you know, and the amount of work that you have to put in to create the food and the, the time that goes into it. But because we have chefs and cooks that are cooking in Mabel's already and it's like, OK, we got the briskets on, smoke the prime ribs, but you could you could double dip a little bit. piggyback you could piggyback a yeah. little bit so the the power of mabel's gives you the ability to create some stuff in here to uh make the the labor quotient of it a little bit easier um so yes i do think it could be profitable good because i want to come and i want to make sure it stays alive yeah so I, can I, get I, here. I think it'll be profitable in the in the meantime though one of the i think the things that we're going to do when we reopen mabel's probably in the second is we're going to kind of do like a, you know how like when you go to a brasserie, they have a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like special mm-hmm. thing. Like we're going to do like a smoked prime rib night. We're going to do the like the Sarah's fried chicken night. We're going to, so some of those will pop up like, you know, we're going to do taco Tuesday, but like we're some of the things that we did in here that I think will play very nicely in Mabel's mm-hmm. like we'll do smoked prime rib till we're out. Right. You know, we'll do, we'll do that crazy Sarah's fried chicken till we're out. Um, I mean, we're not going to do caviar in Mabel's. Yeah, I was going to say. I wanna tater tots and caviar. I would like that. Was You'd fun. never know. These days, everybody's <laughs> adding caviar to everything, man. Unbelievable. I mean, I thought we were so ahead of the curve with our tater tot caviar situation, <laughs> but boy, I see it everywhere now. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you mentioned the staff a couple times and, and staffing up and all that. I, I was thrilled to see Joe Swan. You know, they look, yes. all, everybody who listens to this or half the people who listen to this, they're, they're industry insiders, right? We all yeah. know each other in this town. So um, it was great to see joe out there um are you bringing a lot of the same staff back so yeah so joe has has worked started working with me when he was 16 in cleveland so you know obviously me coming in here and and having joe is it's comforting to me um you know and when he you know he left to come to vegas and he worked for some great chefs and ran some great restaurants and then came back with us and so yeah joe's gonna be joe's gonna actually oversee the whole place you know the, the front and the back of the house um, Christian is back in the back of the house as, as the chef. He's immensely talented. Um, Javi's behind the bar. All, basically, all of our um, chefs and management all came back, 100%. Um, some of the bar, about half of our bartenders came back, a couple servers. Um, so th- some of the, the, the faces behind the bar will be familiar. The, the, the people on the floor, the management people will all be familiar. The chefs are the same. Um, you know, I would say about 85% of the kitchen came back. Now, when when you were here before, 
I got the feeling, and I don't know if you ever said it to me explicitly, but I certainly got a feeling that you were considering expanding out, doing other things in Vegas. Obviously, having when you were partnered with stations, there were different opportunities. Right. Um, do you consider that at all? One hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I I want to do more things here. I I I. I enjoy like there's a couple things like I one I as I said earlier I love Vegas two um, as I'm getting older I hate the cold <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah so like yeah. I'm always gonna be Cleveland New York like for a good chunk of you know like uh, it, it's it's my soul like Cleveland's where I was born and raised will always be home to me New York like is a lot of my professional career has been spent there and uh, incredible friendships. But like, I, I would love to come to Vegas for like four months, <laughs> um, like straight, and then be able to come out throughout the year and, and get out of the cold a little bit. And, and I'm close enough to visit my LA friends. So some of it is uh, a little selfish. Um, I'm not gonna lie, because my bones are a little bit achier now in my 50s than they were in my 40s and 30s and 20s. Um, but I just like it here. I really do. I, I like the people. Um, so yeah, we we, we want to do more stuff in Vegas and continue to do stuff in Vegas. Cool. Um, what about coming up on TV? I mean, it's like I can't turn on TV without seeing you sometimes. No, I'm but sick of myself. <laughs> I mean, it's like what do you have happening now? So we um, we just did a, another season of Simon's Dinners in my backyard um, in Long Island, myself and Lizzie and Olivia, um, and that will uh, start showing. May 7th, I think it, it starts back up. Um, and that will run all throughout summer and fall. Um, I'm filming a show right now called Barbecue USA, which will start showing in July. That'll be prime time. Simon's Dinners is daytime. Um, we're working on one other show project. And then Bobby and I are getting ready to film um, another season of Barbecue Brawl in uh, December. And we actually may film it in Vegas. Which I was going to ask if you're going to film anything we, in Vegas. We, we filmed the last two in Texas. Um, they, they did one other season of it, which I wasn't, I had a schedule conflict. But um, we're hoping to possibly film this one in Vegas. And, and um, the other new show that I'm working on that they haven't, you know, hasn't got greenlit yet, I'm looking to possibly film it out here. Like, it's a great place to film. Yeah, cool. Well, Chef Ben, it is great to chat with you again. Always, I'm looking man. forward to it. So, I April 27th. I just got my invite. I think in the mail yep. to email today. So, April 27th is going to be the Palms Grand Opening Party. Um, this will be the third Palms Grand Opening Party yeah. I've been to. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be. Does that mean we're older? There's just a lot of opening parties. Oh uh, man, no. I mean, look, the first one was actually I'd only lived in Las Vegas six months, and I came out here when George opened the place. Oh my God, that was fantastic. And then when when you guys did the kind of relaunch and it was you and I remember you and Bobby and Chef Mark Vetri yeah. and um, you know all those guys and but no this is going to be the best of oh, course man. of all of I'm them excited. and I'm super psyched I'm Vegas psyched needs it now more than it has ever needed it so um, when does is that the first day of service at uh, Naples? Tw 27th is the part like party and then 28th open to the public cool. and Am can I people right start making reservations? Um, I think so. I don't know. I don't. That's, okay. that's a part of the business. I don't get it. I know. I don't know if I, I'm. I'm not sure if they could start making reservations, but we always do a lot of first come first serve business in the barbecue world. Okay. I can't tell them. I will have food for them. That part I know. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks there. a lot, Chef. We appreciate it. I look forward to eating more of your barbecue, and I want you to get that kibasa back, man. You got it. This is food and loathing. 
This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time for the news. Our friends at Evil Pie have presented Jose Andres' World Central Kitchen with a check for $10,000, the first $10,000 that they raised, selling fuck Putin shots of Ukrainian vodka <laughs> yeah. and bottles of Ru- Russian vodka sold to patrons for dumping into the gutter or the drain or wherever they dumped it. So bravo to them. And of course, fuck Putin, <laughs> fuck Putin apologists, and fuck Aaron Lewis of Stand while we're at it. You can Google that last one, but you'll get it. Fuck Putin do. and anyone who looks like him. <laughs> Nothing but love and respect, however, to the folks at World Central Kitchen, four of whom were among dozens injured when a Russian missile hit a community kitchen in Ukraine, also killing one person. Sucks. Oh, man. Uh, Shout out to Maddie Switzer Lame. Lame? See, it's my turn to screw up a pronunciation. Okay, that's what we do. We fuck up names here. She appears to be taking over much of the editorial duties at Eater Vegas. This month, she has written two long pieces. Uh, one about Super Frico and another about strip chefs moving to the suburbs. Now, in the transition from longtime Vegas editor Susan Stapleton, Eater Vegas uh, has been populated for a few months now by very little else but listicles. So it's nice to see actual articles there once again. Mm-hmm. And the latest piece on chefs in the burbs includes one of our favorites, Gina Marinelli. Okay, it's my favorite. <laughs> and uh, Herman Castellanos of the aforementioned uh, Aromi Italian in Summerlin. So, uh... Got take out there last week. Uh, good on all that, and uh, good on seeing some original journalism in Eater. Well, congrats on the gig, and if you ever want to come on Food and Loathing, Maddie, yeah. you are welcome. Tell us how to pronounce your name. Uh, quick reminder that the Great Vegas Festival is today and tomorrow, April 21st and 22nd, at the DTLV Event Center. That's the place behind the D. Friday is the Taco Tiki Throwdown, while Saturday is the Great Tasting. Um, I'm probably going tonight, Friday. I think I'm going to go to the Taco Tiki Throwdown on that. Oh, one, that looks so. like it. I'm good. judging. Supposed okay. to. Really. Are you going to be? Oh. Okay. Well, I don't know. Gladstone told we'll me. We'll do some live streaming, man. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> cool. On a more somber note, um, there will be a quick reminder a celebration of life for the late chef Aaron Bryan this coming Monday, April 25th at El Luchador on Blue Diamond Road. It gets underway at 6 p.m., and it will be an all ages event until 9 p.m., adults only after that. Country attire is encouraged in recognition of the chef's love of country music, and your minimum donation of $30 will go to the chef's children. Um, And for that donation, you get food, margaritas, and beer. 
from there, hey, edibles. I knew we said we were going to hold off on edibles, but I was um, tempted to buy these because I found something new when I was in a dispensary the other day. Chocolates. I'm not digging chocolates in the summertime. You can't leave them in your car, but yeah. this looked interesting to me. This is Valhalla cannabis-infused chocolate, and um, the flavor on this was dark chocolate with brown butter and sea salt. Hmm. Uh, once again, this is 100 milligrams of THC per the bar. We just opened up the box. Very easy to open up, unlike some. Yeah. And it comes in this foil. <laughs> uh, I, don't know, I think I got to use my mouth to open the foil. All right. In the meantime, let me ask about Himalayan sea salt. Well, last I checked on a map, the Himalayas are nowhere near the sea. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're caves <laughs> where that comes from, and they carve them out of the caves. And they're used then to then be. Then why don't they call it cave salt? They're, they're used to be a sea food. there. Um, I uh, guess you know a gazillion years. Well, this is more uh, interesting to me. Is they call this dark chocolate, and I went on their website. I couldn't find the find the cacao content for this bar, but I found their other dark chocolate. They're saying it's I think fifty five percent. They said yeah, okay. I don't know if I'm okay with calling fifty five percent dark chocolate. You may yeah. legally be able to do it, but man, I usually prefer over 70%, seventy percent, yeah, sometimes 72. even eighty. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, okay, Rick. So I'm gonna let you take this from here. Describe what you're seeing as we open this bad boy up. Okay. Well, it's a typical chocolate slab with the stamp on there with a caution sign on it so it's 10 milligrams and it's There's got 10 little milligram squares that you can easily break off you yeah can it's got these little pink portion. it's got like little flakes in it you can see like little tiny uh, colorful pink blue and pink flakes or whatever mm. so that's I where get, they um, keep the lsd yeah, yeah right, exactly just it's just the himalayan season no, this is brown was this brown butter and himalayan salt that sounds mm -hmm. interesting let's see how it tastes no, they said sea salt. I just added the Himalayan. So my own. Rage. There's nothing Himalayan. You no, just not at all. Rant, just, just, just my you rant. Just, that was a rant that's been sitting there for like eight <laughs> weeks. Until Got it out of the sea salt. Oh well. I like this. I do too. I mean, it is not as dark as I like my dark chocolate, but I think it works with that brown butter and salt. I think this is a really nice co combination. It's got great mouthfeel. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of salt in it, which I like. Yeah. And um, no weediness whatsoever. No. No, none none at all. And I do think dark chocolate is good for cutting through weediness because I've had milk chocolate with um, cannabis in it, and mm -hmm. it's not good. You just taste the weed. But dark Ooh. chocolate's the way to go. I was skeptical that 55% wouldn't cut it, but no. this definitely cuts it on this one. And 100%. congrats. You want me to Valhalla. leave like half of this bar for you? Sure, man. I'll oh, take there that. You know. That's the test. Does Rick <laughs> want it? That yeah, I want. Rick wants. <laughs> okay, Rick wants. So Valhalla, if you're looking. Um, so that's about it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Thanks to our guests, Michael Simon and Jean-Georges Von Gerichten. Do tell a friend about Food and Loathing. Spread the word on social media. Find all the handles to uh, do that spreading at Al's website, theneonmohawk.com. Want to talk to us direct? Info at foodandloathing.vegas is the email. And if you haven't done it yet, download the Neon Feast app. Use it to find your next dining destination. Steak, seafood, Spanish, sushi, whatever you need, whatever you want, you will find it at the Neon Feast. And for those of you who can't get enough of my voice and would like to also see my pretty face, you can see me on the CW Las Vegas every other Wednesday morning at approximately 8.15 a.m. With producer Rich Johnson and our co-host Rick Moonen, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Stay hungry.